Turn with me now to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and we'll begin with verse 18 and read to verse 35. Luke chapter 7, verse 18 to verse 35. If you're using the Bibles there in your rows, it's found on page 1,189. Let's now give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Luke writes, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling to his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Remember, the grass withers and the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen. This morning we want to consider Jesus and doubters. Jesus and doubters. And as we do this, I want to share with you a story of Lieutenant David Steves. He was in the Air Force and he was flying or piloting a trainer jet. And it had disappeared. And so after 54 days of being in the Sierra Mountains, he walked out. 
He tells this unbelievable tale of survival after he parachuted from his disabled plane and that he existed then in the condition that he was in for three months eating berries and digging snow tunnels to sleep. And he saw no one during those three months. Finally, he walked out on his own. But the world... Everyone else sees him, but in the meantime, they went on a rescue mission. They could not find him. They declared him dead. And furthermore, it was during the time of the Korean War, and so there was tremendous skepticism because all of his buddies had left and were over in Korea. After they couldn't find the wreckage, they basically said that he was lying And he was forced to resign because they doubted him. And for two decades, he was identified as a deserter and even a possible spy. Some had accused him of breaking down his plane, sending it over to Mexico, and then sending it on to the Russians so that they could assemble it and use the technology accordingly. Well, sadly... Stevie's died in 1965. For eight years, he lived under this cloud of doubt and scrutiny regarding his story. Well, fast forward to 1977. A troop of Boy Scouts are hiking through Kings Canyon National Park, and guess what they discover the wreckage of the plane to confirm the story. Uncle Sam issued an apology and told his family that his name was reinstated with honor and one of his friends after the ceremony was asked, what did you think? He said, this was nice. I just wish someone would have believed Dave sooner. Think about the circumstance and this man's life because of doubters, because of unbelief. He suffered under the the scrutiny of a nation and as a result died under a cloud. You know, Jesus is dealing with one aspect of this concept of doubt in our passage here this morning. It's really the expression of unbelief. You see, in the latter half of our text, as he's talking about the Pharisees and the religious, he's dealing with those individuals who hear what he has to say and see what happened in John's life only to be led on the path of doubt to the position of unbelief. And yet you also have another individual in this text who is doubting by the name of John. And yet John's doubt is not one of unbelief, but rather one where he's looking then to have reassurances. He's looking to have comfort. He's looking to have strength as he's wondering and questioning, who is Jesus and what is he about? 
And so our passage is really dealing with Jesus and doubters. Those who express doubt which leads to unbelief. And those who express doubt but want to see their belief strengthened. And so this morning we then want to see how Jesus addresses both and in turn challenge those who would not look to Jesus in belief and then encourage those who do look to him in belief. I want to pick up our text in the latter half and focus on that first and then go back to what Jesus notes regarding John. Notice what Jesus says or what Luke brings out for us in terms of verse 29 of our text. When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for they themselves were not baptized by him. Jesus here has ultimately endorsed John and his ministry and in this endorsement he highlights what was John's role and work what was his message what was his point and his role his work his point was to call people unto repentance to call individuals to recognize their sin and their issue before God God or John was a very fiery preacher John was quite the sight to see. Jesus alludes to that in the verses preceding this passage. When he talks about John and he says, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a a reed simply shaking in the wind? Did you go out to see someone who was soft and in fine apparel? He says, no, you went to see someone who was strong, who was firm, who was resolved in what he believed. You went and traveled miles in order to go to see this one in the wilderness so that you might hear his message. Why? Because he was a prophet of God. And yet as you hear this message, there are two responses that unfold. There are those who heard John's preaching They heard this message that God is a righteous God and that they are guilty before Him. And as a result, they said, we repent. We turn from our sin and we cling then to the hope that is found outside of ourselves. But there was another group, a group that doubted, a group that did not believe. And it's sad to consider who this group is. These are individuals who knew God's Word. They were skilled. They were scholars. They were knowledgeable. They should have welcomed John's message. And yet they didn't. Why? Because they were spoiled brats. Really? Pharisees? Scribes? Spoiled brats? Yeah. Why do we say that? Look at the parable that Jesus tells. What shall I like in the men of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another saying, 
We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourned for you and you didn't weep. Jesus is highlighting the fact that these individuals approach is that we are better than all. We know what we know and there isn't anything that anyone else needs to bring out for us. And because what was heard, what was said, didn't fit their narrative and their paradigm, they rejected. They presented themselves to be mature and sophisticated, but they behaved as immature children simply playing games. They have two messengers before them, the messengers of God in John and Jesus. They have these two men of God who are willing to proclaim the truth of God and yet they want to turn them and maneuver them and cause them to then work according to their desires and their perspective. And so they call upon Jesus to be one way. They call upon John to be another way. Exact opposites in both can't find the pleasure of these religious. John was austere. He was separate. He simply preached judgment and he was disliked. Jesus came with a message of compassion and forgiveness and and the grace and kindness of God being poured out Jesus associated with sinners and tax collectors, the, the, the low life, and he ate and drank and he was there celebrating and yet he was disliked. These individuals would not receive Jesus or John because they doubted their validity and they despised the things that they said. It was because their hearts were rooted in pride. The problem wasn't the messenger. The issue wasn't the message. The issue was the one who was hearing and was unrepentant. Jesus, through this parable and the account of what happened with the Pharisees and the scribes, is setting a challenge to us today. Where are our hearts in relation to the revelation of God in Christ? When we hear the issue of the judgment of sin, do we humble ourselves before God's mighty hand? Or do we begin to maneuver and manipulate and and work it so that it fits my narrative and my concept? When we hear the issue of sin that comes before us, an offense of a a holy God who looks upon us and sees us as being separate from Him and worthy of, of judgment and death, do we repent and come before Him? Or do we excuse how we are? Do we justify ourselves? And do we then twist and turn what God has said? Are we working to simply change the course of God's purposes for salvation? Or do we lay hold of the provision that He has made for us 
through Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to leave us in a position of despair. Jesus says wisdom is justified by all her children. Elsewhere, I think in Matthew, it notes wisdom is justified by all her fruit. In other words, we see that those who are humble and those who hear Christ their Lord, those who hear God's messengers will see the truth that God has provided for them in salvation. But where are our hearts? Is it the expression of unbelief? Or is it the expression of belief? Well, as Jesus has set this before us, he does so in the context of doubt. It's important that we hear this or recognize this because doubt is a clear struggle that many have. Doubt happens in the lives of believers. Believers may doubt because there are things that they believe shouldn't happen and do. Believers can doubt because there are things that should happen but don't. And believers can doubt because there are things that happen that they want to happen now but occur much later. For example, how often do you hear individuals who struggle with doubt because they see things that shouldn't happen but do? Issues of abuse, issues of suffering, people who are untruthful and yet individuals follow after them, believe them, and even promote it. Other instances where we see that that justice is perverted and work doesn't pay off and healing and comfort encouragements aren't happening. These things that, that we want to happen but don't. Other times where we just simply have to wait. And so as these things happen in providence, we struggle with that, we wrestle with it, we begin to wonder and we begin to question and we we begin to then ask God, where are you and what's happening in this circumstance? And it leads to questions, which leads to clouds, which leads to just a whole storm of despair. John was dealing with that. Not the issue of unbelief like the Pharisees had. Not the hearing the message and despising God. Not the hearing of of the call of repentance and promoting pride and self-righteousness. But rather John was going through a season of despair. Some commentators really wrestle with whether or not John would go through this sort of thing in his life. I mean, after all, Jesus in our text says that he's a prophet, and even as he identifies him as a prophet, he says he's more than a prophet. He's basically the prophet of the prophets. 
verse 28, I say to you among those born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And so some have argued, well then if he is a great prophet, how in the world can a great prophet be filled with despair, doubt, discouragement? I think the question to those commentators is, really? Is that what you got? (laughs) There's an abundance of examples throughout the scriptures of the godly who despair, who doubt. Abraham, at one time in his life, doubted the promise of God that he would actually bring him a son. Elijah wrestled with discouragement as he saw the loneliness of being a faithful servant before the living God and hearing the threats of Jezebel. And so he ran. The apostles themselves doubted through the ministry of Jesus. Doubted the things that he said. Even at the resurrection, they doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. The scriptures even tell us that at the ascension, there still were those who doubted. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to have doubts. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that there aren't going to be these times of despair. Christians get the blues. And not only might we sing those, but even within our hearts, we can struggle. Why would John struggle? Well, consider where he was. He's in prison. This isn't some cushy cell (laughs) that we might have in our judicial system today. This is a dungeon. It's dark. It's damp. It's musty. No guarantee of quality of life. John also remember that the ministry of Jesus and John barely crossed over. Mark tells us in chapter 1, I believe, verse 14, that Jesus did not start his ministry until John was in prison. So John has been preaching this message of repentance. He's been calling people regarding the judgment of God. He then is thrown in prison because he took a stance against Herod for his marriage to his niece. And now he's left with his thoughts. Months upon months upon months. He had been faithful He had been true, he had been forthright, he had been committed, and yet, he's struggling. Christians can doubt. The believers of God can doubt. Doubt, to doubt, is not a sin. Unbelief is a sin. Because unbelief is a matter of the will. Like we saw with the Pharisees, they refused to believe the clear message by God about the call for repentance. But doubting 
is simply a struggle within the mind. It's something that you might not grasp. It's something that you might be confused about. It's something that you might simply be struggling with in your mind. It's an issue of what you're thinking. And John was having that. He was having that because of the faithfulness that he had and yet the consequence of it. He was also having it because he identified Jesus as the promised one, the coming one, the expected one. And yet, Jesus' message isn't the same. Remember what we saw a moment or two ago. John came not eating bread nor drinking wine. Remember he was in Nazarite. So he lived in the wilderness, he ate locusts and wild honey. But Jesus comes eating and drinking. John came with a message of judgment. Jesus came with a message of compassion. John knew that Jesus was Messiah and yet his perspective, his approach about what Messiah should be and what Jesus was doing was different. And so now he's going, well, what does this mean? And so he's further than into this dungeon of despair. And so finally he sends two disciples to go. And ask him, who are you? Are you the one that we should be looking for? Or is there somebody else? Notice what Jesus does in our text. Verse 20, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. (laughs) You could almost see it like this. John sends his disciples, they make the trip. While the disciples are arriving, Jesus is busy doing These various things, healing people, helping people, serving people. This question comes up and he says, hold on one second. And he restores the sight of one who is blind. Hold on one second. He causes the deaf to hear. Oh, I got to take care of this lame individual. Oh, let me help this person talk. Now, what is it that you wanted to talk about? (laughs) Isn't it interesting that Jesus, in his response here, takes the time to heal and to do all sorts of work, John tells us, and then from this, Jesus tells his disciples, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. What does Jesus do there? He answers his question through his action, but he also answers his question through the Word of God. Because what Jesus has ultimately done here is he's made an appeal to various passages in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 26, Isaiah 61, and elsewhere to point at the work of the Messiah 
and then to say, remind John what the Bible says. Interestingly enough, since this time, we don't really hear anything more about John other than to hear that he eventually then is brought out of prison and beheaded. But because no more questions are asked, because nothing more is brought out, we then see that what Jesus has done for John has helped him. Jesus helped him. So what do we want to see in all this then? Jesus dealt with the doubt or the unbelief on the part of Pharisees, of the Pharisees and the religious, by challenging them, but yet he shows compassion to the one who's doubting and struggling. What do we see in all this? The first is this. Note who Jesus is. Even in the midst of despair, even as you're going through all sorts of questions, even as you're dealing with uncertainty and chaos, don't lose sight of who Jesus is. Willing to take a servant who's struggling and take the time for him. If Jesus is doing that for John, he'll do it for you as well. If we put it a different way, let's put it this way. When you're doubting, cling to Christ. That's what John does for us, isn't it? He's struggling with his thoughts. He's alone and he says, I need to get this resolved, so what do I do? Go to Christ. Oftentimes when we become discouraged and down and disheartened, what do we do? We pull away from Christ. We pull away from His people. We withdraw ourselves and we allow our thoughts to just continue to to swell within us and to flood us. And it only brings us further and further and further into despair, discouragement, and being disheartened. But through Jesus' example, we ought to be encouraged to actually go to him first and foremost. Because as John asks the question, Jesus doesn't condemn him, but instead gently responds and assures him of the answer. So what do we see? Cling to Christ. What's the second thing? The second thing is, as you desire to cling to Christ, go to God's Word. Think about that. When Jesus went to answer John, He, yes, did various things, but He doesn't then send the disciples back to just simply go, well, there's your proof, but He gives them the proof and He affirms it By showing them this is what God has said in His Word. If you're dealing with doubt, oftentimes you end up pulling away from God's Word. 
Jesus says, go to the Scriptures. Look at what He, God, has said. Look at what is available to you in His Word to encourage you and strengthen you. Think about how it was put forth in this way in the lives of the disciples in John chapter 6. Jesus was saying some pretty hard stuff and many people pulled away from Jesus and Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, do you all want to leave too? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have also come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter is saying, Christ, you have the words for us. You have life. You have strength. You are the one to whom we must go. And as you are revealed in the Bible, that's what we must hold to. And so as you're filled with doubt or struggle with despair, cling to Christ because He is compassionate and gracious Cling to Christ because He is the revelation of God who encourages you and strengthens you. Cling to Christ by means of prayer. John goes through his disciples and talks to Jesus. The third aspect of doubt and despair leads us to pull away. We don't want to talk. We don't want to communicate. We don't want to pour out our hearts to the Lord. And yet it's the very thing that we should do. The hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, sums it up beautifully. When it talks about, are there trials? Are there temptations? Are there issues where you're discouraged? Are there times where you have despair? Take it to the Lord in prayer. The Scriptures direct us many times over to see that by availing ourselves of the means of grace through prayer, God strengthens us and allows us then to overcome the struggles or at least to find peace to be able to do so. Jesus deals with the issues of doubt in this passage. He also deals with the issue of unbelief. As it pertains to the response of unbelief, sometimes clouded under the title of doubt, Jesus calls those who are there to come out of it. While you are yet here, while you live now, you have opportunity To not be like those individuals in the Air Force who had heard all sorts of things, who had even seen certain things based on the witness of Steve's, only to not believe him, but later find out they were wrong. All of us will stand before Jesus and will give an account to him. And we will find that the message of Jesus in Scripture is true and right and proper. Therefore, let go of your sin and come to God through Christ now, seeing how unbelief may be yielded in confidence. 
And yet Jesus in dealing with doubt also speaks of those who are His and yet struggling, even despairing, weighed down, discouraged. Jesus assures you in a favorable manner that He is your friend who cares for you, who calls you to come to Him, to pour out your heart before Him with the assurance that He will answer. He'll address it. He'll resolve it. Dear Christian, whatever your doubts are, take it to Christ. Read His Word. Pour out your heart. He will answer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us in our times of unbelief, our times of struggle, our times of despair and discouragement. Cause us to not be focused within, but to turn our eyes and to turn our hearts outward toward you. Knowing that you will tenderly address us, that in compassion you will bring resolve in due time, and that you can and will overcome. Help us through this process for we are weak and unable to engage. We pray that you would encourage and strengthen our faith as well, even as we pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.